So everybody will notice that um, that everything everything is right here for me. Okay, so somebody noticed that I was had stuff scattered all over the place last time. So thought meant stuff back here, and so I figured, all right, well, make sure that we're not gonna do that again. So let me pray for us. Father, again, thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace to us in your son. We thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would lay me low, that you would use whatever I say about your word and reading your word, Lord, I pray that you'll use those things that you intend uh, to produce fruit in your people. Pray that everything else would just fall to the ground. Father, I pray that you would still our hearts. I pray that you would help us all to be mindful that we are dependent on your spirit to, to do something here. To produce something in us. Would you use these brief moments that we have to accomplish all that you intend by your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so um, something to ask just to start off with is why, why you're here this morning. What, what did you come here for? But really, so ask yourself, just sitting where you are, just sort of let yourself ask yourself, you know, self, why did we come today? What'd you, what'd you show up for this morning? We ask Another way, what is it, what is it that you're expecting here this morning? Did you, did you ask yourself that as you were on your way? You're getting in the car and I'm, it's cold and I'm driving and going to this place. Why am I doing this? Now, on the one hand, let me say this, on the one hand, it should sort of be kind of rote. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Rote. We're just, do, you know, we're doing it. Coming in. But it may be helpful just to ask yourself, why am I here? You know, Ben expressed some concern, and I understood it, right? I mean, any... Anybody who, who preaches or teaches has that sort of that feeling in the pit of your stomach when you're going, okay, so what is this supposed to do for everybody? He said last week, different people are coming in with different issues and and sort of the person who's you know, proclaiming this word is sort of got this question, or am I, is it, do I, am I going to be able to, to help them? Am I going to give any real answers? And there's a place for that, right? I mean, there's some, there are some specific things that we could talk about that we could cover. But I, I think underneath that, though, is this, 
for all of us is this kind of um, this kind of fear. I, you know, for for me, there's this sort of uncertainty. Okay, so you know, what what is Jesus supposed to be doing for me exactly? Why do why do I need him? I wonder if that was part of your answer, like when you were thinking, well, what am I, what am I coming here, right? Were you coming here, sort of like we said yesterday, last night, Jesus, coming here for Jesus, okay. Was that anybody's answer? No. I mean, when you think, okay, what was I expecting when I came here? Were you expecting Jesus? It's worth asking, because that seemed to be what was going on with John when he was out there, out in the wilderness, in the Jordan. John knew his context. He knew what was up. He knew what time it was. He knew what he and everybody else needed. He was self-conscious about what he was doing. Sometimes you see folks do things in the Bible and it's like, oh, this is God's using this. And they don't, they're not really aware that that's what God's doing with it. But John, he knew what he was doing. Right? He's a priest. He knows what he's doing. He knows that he is, and I'll say this again later, he knows he's organizing this people out there in the wilderness, out by the Jordan, and he knows what everybody's going to think about. Well, he knows that this means something, all of the, that it's taking place at that place, right? In the wilderness, that he's dressed like he's dressed, that he's in that water. All of that, like we saw last week, was part of, was part of what John was intentionally doing and calling everybody else to do. John had this expectation. And he was urging everybody else to jump on board, right? John is saying, hey, there is this hope that we have, and that hope is here. And so it seems appropriate, right, that if, if we're going to join in this story that we're hearing, right, this is what's cool, is that we see John, and we're going to see Jesus, John the Baptist and Jesus, enacting lots of stuff. What's fascinating is that we get to be a part of that same action. So if you're wondering, okay, what am I supposed to be expecting here? What am I supposed to be doing here? What we are doing is hoping in Jesus Christ. That's the call, right? Hope in Christ. Okay, you can't say, I already did that. No, because you don't ever stop doing that, right? Hope in Christ. That's what John was saying. What's fascinating is he's not saying anything different to us. Hope in Christ. But we could say this, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning. We hope in Christ because what we're going to see today, his baptism inaugurates this work that we needed him to do. It's a little anticlimactic now. That's really dangerous.
Did they? Okay. Where's um? Okay. Just, just wanna. I, I didn't. See, I didn't see when. It, ever, that's on tape, right? <laughs> right here. Okay. So. You get a safe distance, a safe working distance from the drumstead. Just tell Corey that I didn't, I didn't hear anything. Okay, so let's see if we can. We're hoping in Jesus Christ because his baptism inaugurates what we needed him to do. We're going to see all of these pieces come together and my hope is that it will clarify what's happening up to this point in Matthew and get us set to move forward to what comes next. We're not going to talk so much about, okay, so how do we hope in Jesus? We're going to focus on the other side, right? What is this stuff this Jesus is doing in his baptism that's so important that we need to see it? What do we need to see in Jesus' baptism that helps us see him and his work more clearly so that we know what we're hoping in? Well, to do this, we'll back up for just a second, and we'll look at uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Now, this is where Ben was last week. He did 1 through 12. I did, I'm doing 13 through 17. We need to back up just a bit to get, you know, some of that context on the tail end there. So verse 11, here's where John is really sort of punching home the importance of what he's doing. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his flesh, fresh, threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So we've got these nice balanced pieces. John is saying, okay, so let me tell you guys what I'm doing here, who I'm talking about. So just so you understand, all right, so who am I in relation to this person that's coming? I am baptizing with water. Water for repentance. Now, this other, this other one, he's going to baptize too, but he's going to baptize with spirit and fire. Right? So there's the big, the big difference. And in the middle of those two, John sort of spells out the relation between him and this one. He does it in terms of his person. This one that's coming is greater because he far exceeds me, uh, exceeds me in power. This one that's coming is greater because he's got an honor that I can't touch. That's what John means in saying he's mightier. And I'm not even worth, worthy to sort of tie his sandal, right? I can't. I'm supposed to be part of this work that he's doing, and I don't even, I, I shouldn't even be here doing this. That's, there's no, there, I'm so far away from him right, that I shouldn't even be here on the ground. And then he fills a little bit more in about the expectation. This one who has more power, more honor, when he says he's baptizing with spirit and fire, he's talking about something that's coming that everybody's been waiting for. This sort of end time reality that's supposed to be breaking in that God's promised for a really long time. And it kind of summarizes it in that idea of the guy with the winnowing fork. I mean, I, you get the picture of, you know, that it's like, you know, you know, this superhero 
Right? What's he doing? The, the whole threshing floor thing, right? He's taking up all of his wheat, and he's going to put it in the barn, and he's going to take all this other stuff, this sort of chaff, and he's going to throw it, gone, fire. What is that? He's, he's talking about how God is coming to establish justice through this one, this Messiah, through his people. John is saying, hey, that's ready. God's co covenant promises are coming to fulfillment. God's enemies be judged, his people delivered, because everybody knew, well, that's what John was doing, right? He's out there self-consciously organizing the remnant. Everybody coming out there confessing, you know, the corporate confession Ben was talking about last week. They're coming out and they are saying, you know, we are, we're, we're part of this expectant group, this expectant community. We're part of this people. That will, that will have that anticipated spirit that God is going to bring through his, his chosen one, this Messiah. We're separate. We're coming out here, out in the wilderness, recognizing that we are waiting for, longing for God to be faithful to do what he promised us that he would do. And we're going to be organized as his people and move in to the land. Again, they're reenacting history. They're reenacting their history. And you can see this sort of a call to hope because remember, John uh, Matthew ties this to Isaiah 40. Ben said that was 40 to 42 was sort of like the backdrop for this. <clears throat> 40, verse 3, was the, you know, make straight the way for the Lord, right? But if we back up and look at 1 through 2, you can just listen to this. Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 2, says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. That's part of this context. That's what John is saying. That comfort is coming. Join in. Let's look for him. Let's wait for him. And everybody's out there waiting expectantly. And so that's the question that you can ask yourself, right? Is that what we're doing here? Did we gather together because we have this God who has shown us great mercy and grace, this God said, hey, guess what? I am going to meet with you as my people. Right? I mean, if, if you don't, I mean, if you're not sure about whether I'm going to meet with you like during the week and, you know, and the, right, you, you know this, right? I said, I'm going to meet with you when you gather together. And what's he, what's he meeting with us about? about what he's done for us. It's difficult, right, to sort of get, we talked about this morning in Sunday school about being habituated, the different way of being. And it's hard sometimes to come to a place with, the, with, with a sort of a posture of like this. Right? When I was a pastor, at the end, we would do, we would, we would do when we do the benediction, we would do this. Because that's, that's the kind of people we are. Right? When you come here, you've got nothing. Right? You remember when we used to, you know, got to bring God your best. Right? Well, that's nice. But you're coming empty-handed. 
You're coming as a needy people. You never stop being needy. You come here asking, seeking. You don't come here giving him anything. Oh, what we give him praise, right? What do we give him praise for? What he's given us. hard to be needy, but that's who we are. So John has gathered these people. They're out there in the wilderness, ready to cross over. And then what happens, and this is what I love. Look at verse 13. Here's verse 13. Now listen to this. I'm going to read it slow so we don't miss it. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Does that, does that seem like a little much? A lot of, lot of, lot of infinitives and prepositional phrases <laughs> there, aren't there? Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. I think what Matthew is doing is slowing us down so that we don't miss the absurdity of what is happening here. John picks up on it. It is absolutely absurd what's happening here. Jesus, okay, let's just just sort of get on the same page here, right? Jesus... This is the same Jesus, right? The Jesus that's entering these waters of the Jordan. This is the same Jesus that is the second person of the Trinity. God the Son. Becoming what he was not without ceasing to be who he was. Second person of the Trinity. That that Jesus, that's, that's who he is. Not a, not a nice guy. He's not a good, a good Jew. He's not, he is the, well, he is, but just go with me. He's the second person of the Trinity. That's who's in there. Get it? Really human, really God. He is stepping into the water. Okay, this is the same guy who made it, the water. He made the water that he's getting into. You got this image of Jesus. Stepping down in. He might have done something like that. This is the same one that's stepping into the water where there are all these other people, these, all these other human beings that he created in his image. That's who's getting in there. He's stepping into the water with a bunch of people that have rebelled against his father. Now, we're talking about representatively, corporately. They represent this corporate person that has a long history of going, "Mm, yeah, I don't know about following you today. That's Jesus stepping into the water. Why does he enter the picture like that? Why does he do that? I mean, that's that's what John wants to know. Look at verse 14. Now, this is bold. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Right? Now, imagine what that would have been like, because John, John the Baptist, right? He's the guy that's dressed in camel hair, eats locusts and honey. He's probably not subtle, okay? He's like, whoa, time out, wait a second. Right? He's probably not like the English actor 
I'm sorry, Jesus, wait one moment. What are you doing? No. John's like, hey, this, um, what are you, are you nuts? This is crazy. Well, doesn't it make sense that John would do that? Because he knows, he's, he, he's buying his own message. He knows that this is the one. This is the one that is doing what God has always planned on doing. That's who this is. Getting in the water? I mean, did you see? John just got through telling everybody, okay, here's the difference between me and him. I baptize with water. He baptizes with the Spirit. John's a little disoriented by this, this move of this one getting into the water. And maybe you and I need to feel a little bit of that absurdity. Maybe we rush too quickly to go in, okay, thank you. Yeah, that's wonderful. Really? Really? It totally makes sense to you that the God of the universe became flesh and is getting into dirty water with a bunch of people that have a history of not really liking him very much. That makes total sense to you. I mean, you know, some of you, you may do maybe a couple different kind of categories of people. And I, maybe we fall, we've fallen in probably to either of these categories at different times. You know, there are some of you that think you've got it together, right? And I know who you are because you're not smiling. You're not even moving right now. You're thinking, how dare he? Right? Some of you think that you've got it together. Right? Or at least you, that's, that's like you wake up in the morning and that's what you got to get your P's and Q's in order so that you can be the kind of Christian that you're supposed to be for God. Right? You know, and you're like, yes, I did it today. You know? right? Some of you are just, you know, some of you are just pathetic. You're like, oh, I'm such a horrible person. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. I don't obey Jesus like I'm supposed to. I'm bad. I can never forgive myself. I mean, you realize whichever category you're in on any particular day, you're doing the same thing. Right? You're not grasping the enormity of what Christ has done. You're not grasping the significance of what him getting in the water is about. Right? Because on the one hand, there are times where we don't understand the, to, the degree, the depth of our own sinfulness. On the other hand, sometimes when we're in that sort of I can't ever forgive myself state, right? what we're saying is we're too awful for Jesus to do anything with us. Which in my estimation, I guess, when I'm, I know whenever I'm like that, seems to sound awfully condescending. To the God of the universe. I'm too bad. Jesus, <laughs> you don't know what you're getting into. Right? John got it. Oh, see, when I read this at first, when I was reading this, I was thinking, oh, there's John, like, kind of, and maybe there's a little bit of this, right? John, you know, not really quite getting what Jesus was doing. No, I don't. Well, that, that's what I see here at first glance. John understood. He just didn't understand why. He didn't get it, that part. Why are you in here with us? 
And then Jesus answered him. Verse 15, Jesus says, uh, or Jesus answered him, let it be so now. Let it be so now. That's not just like sort of a, a throwaway line. It's important, right? Jesus is explaining to him. The, if you, the quick version is, permit it now. That's not just a kind of casual, temporal fray or, or, or marker. Now is pregnant. Right? That now, permit it now, it's part of the plan. Permit it now, this is the unfolding of God's purposes. Jesus says, I get, just hang on, hang with me. Permit it now. And then he says this. For thus it is fitting, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Again, there's one that you can blow by. Jesus says, it's fitting for us. you catch that? Jesus saying, it's fitting for us. So the God, the triune God, second person of the Trinity, coming in flesh and is saying, us. It's fitting. It's proper for us to do this job. And then the reason, because it fulfills all righteousness. Now this, again, not just simply obeying God. And we'll say more about this in a second. But just the short of it is, it fulfills all righteousness in this sense. And this is where we get the second half of what, what I mentioned at the beginning. Something happens in Jesus' baptism that prepares him to be the instrument that establishes God's righteousness. The kingdom. We could say the difference between John and Jesus goes like this. John is preparing the way and announcing the kingdom. And this Jesus, he's the one that brings it. His baptism is hugely important for that to happen in time, in space. How does it do this? Okay, so just hang on because this is where we get going here. So, 16 and 17, these are our last verses. Here's Here's what it says. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. How does this moment, how does it inaugurate Christ's redemptive work? How does this moment mark this sort of entryway into the work that he will do? Well, first of all, we've been saying it already over and over, but we see it really specifically here. It prepares him. It inaugurates his identification and representation of the people. He identifies and represents this people by what he does in that moment. It already started getting in that water. Remember, he comes from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. That means he's coming along with everybody else to confess. That sound a little weird, right? Jesus, second person of the Trinity. Flesh, 
God. Okay, so we can just sort of run it this way. He doesn't have any sin. He has no record of rebellion against his father. How do we know that? He's here. Freely, he's here. Doing what his father has sent him to do. He's not like us. But he says, us. He gets in the water with us. He identifies, he says, I am one of you. And there's no justification for really sort of taking that. You also see it in the allusions that Matthew is making to Isaiah to give context to his account of Jesus. Now, we already mentioned this. Um, Isaiah 42, verse 1, that's the other book. And remember, the beginning one was Isaiah 40, verse 3. That's John, the one coming in the wilderness. And then we got over here at the very end, nice bookend, Isaiah 40, oh, excuse me, 42, Verse 1, this is about Christ. This is about him. It says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is the one that John has been waiting for. This is the one that John says Jesus is. He is that servant, servant of the Lord, Isaiah, right? But it gets better, right? What else does Isaiah say about this servant? Here's another piece of it. Listen to this. Isaiah, you don't have to turn there. Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 10. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's the servant of Isaiah 2. And then there's this one. Isaiah 42, verses 18 to 19. It says, Hear you deaf and look, you blind that you may see who is blind, ready, wait for it, but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send, who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord. That's, that's the servant too. So what, what's happening? We got this servant that's coming the servant that is chosen, the servant that the Spirit is on, that brings justice and righteousness. And then we got the servant who just needs help, right? He needs rescue. And then we got the servant who is blind and deaf. One way to kind of think about this is going sort of through history. This is sort of like keeping it boots on the ground, right? You've got this one sense in which you have everybody carried off into exile, right? All of Israel carried off into exile. And we know why, because, you know, we, the prophets are like, you know, boo, you leaders, you know, you're just carving up the poor and the needy and you're having them for breakfast. But, I mean, really, they say stuff like that, right? Boo, you know, God's going to, God's taking you down for what you've done. Right? So the whole nation gets carted off. But here's the thing. In the nation, you got this people that they're holding fast to God and they get carted off too. They're out there in Babylon. They're out there because of this corporate sin. 
And in Babylon, right, they are remaining faithful, right, this remnant. This faithful, righteous remnant is suffering. Is suffering, right? And they were righteous. So you've got this development, this idea, this righteous servant. They're in the midst of this servant that's wicked, right? Because God is saying, if you guys are going to call on me, I'm going to come get you. Here's this righteous remnant, and they're calling. And that's who John is organizing at that time, still there. But then you have Jesus, who has been pointed out last week. He shows up on the scene, and he's doing things. His life is unfolding in ways that are saying, wait a minute. All these patterns of God's people that we've been seeing, hmm, they seem to culminate. They seem to find their resting place, their fulfillment, all these patterns in this one who deserves no wrath or judgment and as that one that's going to bring them back. Say it this way. Oh, let me give you this one. This is a little bit more direct too. Isaiah 63 11 through 12, it says this. Again, remember, servant, what he's doing? Okay, so, then he remembered the days of old, of Moses and of his people. Where is he who brought them, go with this, brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his, of his uh, flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them, get, watch this, he put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses and divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths. Do you see what Matthew is doing? Right? It's not an accident whenever it says, Jesus goes to the water, and then it says, Jesus comes up from the water. Right? Don't get this like flash dance thing. And I go, I know that this is not like a, you know, right? but you know, the flash dance thing where Jesus is coming out of the water. And then the, you know, the, that, right? So it's Jesus is coming out of the water. And the heavens open. The Spirit comes down. Isaiah 63, Jesus identifies, represents that people that's happening, this what's being expected. And I can imagine what somebody standing there, I don't, and I don't know, I don't think that people who, other people who got baptized in the river with John saw Jesus come up and all of this stuff happened because it seems pretty clear that Jesus is the one seeing it. And then I'm thinking, you know, John says God showed him who was going to, the, the dove was going to. But it would have been funny, right, that somebody who is standing there, they just got baptized, Jesus comes out. And then they hear the voice. So, Mr. Baptist... Um, I'm just curious. That didn't happen when I came out of the water. Should I do it again? I... <laughs> no. No. Because you're not him. He's the representative. Here's the, here's the best one. Going back to that Isaiah 41, and we're almost done. I promise. Um, I'll even cut some stuff, Scott, so that I... Show my fidelity. I was warned to not preach for a long time by Annie. Don't let her fool you. She is not nice. <laughs> Annie, she's, she's, you know, she has a knife and, wep and other weapons. I'm just saying, don't cross her. So, is she in? Good, good. All right. So, 
Here's what, here's, so Isaiah 41 verse 1. I'll read it again. Behold, my servant, whom I, I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice in the nations. That's sort of a mixture, or excuse me, this is part of the mixture of what Matthew says about Jesus in Matthew, Matthew 3.17. Let me read that one one more time. He says, the voice came from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I, well, I am well pleased. Part of that. It's coming from Isaiah 41, verses 1 and 2. Part of it is coming from Psalm 2, 6 through 7. Here's what Psalm 2, 6 through 7 says. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Right? That's this, um, that's this uh, um, in, um, uh, what is it when a king coronate, coron, coronate, would you say it? Not a coronary. I know that's a heart attack, but coronation sort of thing. And then it's also, part of it also comes from Genesis 22-2, or some would think that it does. This is with, this is with uh, Abraham, right? He's on the mountain with Isaac, and it says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What is Jesus' baptism? Jesus' baptism is the official inauguration, right? I mean, genuinely, this official inauguration, this consecration, setting him apart of these three characters rolled into one. He is the king. He is the sin bearer. And he is the servant. He is the one who reigns. He is the one who dies for sin. And he is the one who does not deserve it. Death. He is true Israel. Obeying, honoring his father always. He does all of this as a representative for his people. And then he is also consecrated as priest. Think about this. Remember John the Baptist, remember his daddy was a priest. John's a priest, right? But he's doing something different. He's out there, right? Consecrating somebody who's not a part of the priestly line. Get it? Doing something with someone who's not part of the priestly line, that's Jesus, right? Doing something to Jesus that only gets done to lepers, to um, people who have been in contact with the dead, and then priests. He's out there getting washed. Right? Oh, and he does it at like 30-ish. You know why he does that, right? Because in order to be a priest, that's how old you got to be. It's no accident that Jesus is doing what God has called him to do, the way God has called him to do it in this people. Israel has become a leper, a ceremonially unclean. He's, Israel's become dead. In need of resurrection. This is what one writer said. Jesus identifies with both of those. We've already said that. But here he gets washed. And then, and then something that John couldn't do. This is the big difference between their baptisms, right? Something that John couldn't do, God's father, or Jesus' father could do. The spirit comes down. Anoints him. That's, that's important because the other thing that happens to a priest, they don't just get washed. They get anointed with oil. That's, that's who the Spirit is. Jesus gets consecrated for his priestly role in this event. This is the marker. This is the beginning. 
This is why when you get to Acts, they talk about everything that happened from Jesus' baptism to when he was taken up. Acts. Because this is where it starts. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our sin bearer. And Jesus is our servant. We get, we get those, those uh, roles. We get the benefit of those because by faith we're united to him. He's ours. We're his. That's why you hope in him. 42, the rest of that part, Isaiah 42, it says, you know, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Verse 3, this is, this is your servant. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick. He will not quench. He's not snuffing them out. He's caring for them. Bearing them up. That means he's doing it for you. That is the savior that you have. A king a sin bearer, and a servant who holds you up. We could back up to 40. A king, a sin bearer, and a servant who gently carries you. That, that is who you hope in. 